This week, Dr. Doug Weaver joins us to unpack how Baptists have understood the Holy Spirit throughout history and how we can get to know the Holy Spirit better. Blaze and I had uh, our very first year in college, we had our Christian history course with Dr. Weaver. And then I had the privilege of learning from him again at seminary in essentially a Baptist history class. And so that was so great and so much fun. Um, and Dr. Weaver has been one of the most formative people um, for Blaze and I. Um, I we, we were just joking about it earlier in funny ways and in serious ways. We remember your classes often. Um, and so I'm just so excited that he's here tonight and that we get to unpack some of these. So thank you for being here. Well, yeah. it's great to be here. Great to be with all of you, and I have stories about them. <laughs> uh, they were really, really good students, I will tell you that. So, um, really, really good. Yeah. Well, and um, one of the things that I, don't, I haven't even talked to you about this in a long time, but um, Dr. Weaver is one of the most um, profound advocates for women in ministry that I think I've ever met. Um, and in the class I had with you at seminary, we read a book about the history of women in ministry, right? And that, um, that's a hard history, right? There's a lot there, and I had to write a paper about it. And so I, I, I think I wrote in that paper, um, you know, reading through this stuff really makes you start to question your calling because of how hard this history of women in ministry has been. And I remember to this day in red pen, I think it might have even been red sharpie in all caps, <laughs> you wrote, you are called there on my paper. And, um, and I think about that often. I've especially thought about that lately just because of what's been in the news. But I just want you to know that that has come to my mind often. <laughs> well, and I'm grateful. That... She is called. How about that? Um... The topic we're going to talk about tonight, one of the reasons why you should affirm women in ministry is because you can't put the Spirit of God in a box. And it's the Spirit of God that calls. And if you need to read something, it's Acts chapter 2. Yeah. But the Spirit blows where the Spirit will. Mm -hmm. And the Spirit calls women and men. And she's one of them. How about that? So. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Well, I didn't pay him to say that either. But we're... <laughs> But, um, no, I'm just so excited for you all to be able to learn from him because we've learned so much. So, so first, so to get us started, tell us about your, your career, what led you to Baylor, what led you to this work, and especially what led you, so he wrote a book called Baptists and the Holy Spirit, right? right? right. Yeah, so what led you to these things? Um, I've been around a few years, <laughs> silver hair, just that kind of thing. Um, I actually started teaching way back in, in 1985 and 86, um, when your parents were thinking about you, I guess. Um, but I've been in Baptist-related schools ever since then. I was for 17 years in two small schools, one in West Virginia, um, one in um, Georgia for a long, long time. I came to Baylor University in Waco. Uh, I'm not a native Texan. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm from Virginia. So, oh, there we go. Oh, yeah, we do have a Virginia. <laughs> but I actually grew up in Richmond, uh, born in Fredericksburg, Virginia, if you know where that is. Um, but I actually came to Baylor for a job. And I will retire Baylor. Um, but 
I won't get into a lot of the history, but uh, Baptists have had conflict in their history. Uh, they've had good things in their history. They've had some conflict. Uh, there was some conflict in the 80s and 90s that your church probably would have known about and been involved in. Uh, in the school where I was involved, um, I, I would call it this way, Megan, they jerked hard to the right. Yeah. And um, I was really no longer welcome there. So I had a job, but I was no longer welcome there. And so uh, a position opened up at Baylor, and I had a couple friends um, in the religion department, and I applied, and I got it. And so I've been there 20 years. I am um, what's called Professor of Baptist Studies, but I do something unique. I was talking to Blaise a minute ago, and he said he has found a niche in the medical field, and he said it's a small niche. Had, it doesn't make any difference whether it's a small or big niche. You got a niche. That's good. <laughs> Um, but I have developed a niche, and I don't know of anybody else that does it, and maybe that's good for me, but <laughs> there, are, there are other uh, professors of Baptist studies. Um, but I am the only one, you could question why, but I'm the only one that looks at the interaction of Baptist and holiness believers and Pentecostal believers and charismatic believers. So what's called the holiness Pentecostal charismatic tradition and how Baptists are a part of that, and how Baptists have opposed that. Um, I have been doing that now probably almost for the last decade. Yeah. Now, I can do other, I do other things, uh, but my, my major book, uh, at Baylor, by the way, at Baylor, uh, wherever you might have gone to school, we have to write. We really, if you ever heard the phrase, uh, publish or perish, <laughs> it's actually true. Uh, we have to write. So I write some other things, but... Uh, I think it's fair to say that my major work is something called uh, Baptist and the Holy Spirit. Baylor University Press actually put it out. Um, I get to go talk about it. I'm going to Tulsa, the home of Oral Roberts, <laughs> uh, in two weeks to cool. talk about the book uh, at a conference. So, so I do do this niche, and I have landed, uh, for, for good or bad, I've landed in the department chair's office, so I'm the department chair of uh, the religion department at Baylor, uh, and will be, uh, I assume, for a few more years. Yeah, so anyways. that's awesome. Um, so anyways, I'm very happy to be with you and, and talk to you about what I have done. I will say this, uh, how did I get into the study? That That's interesting. Uh, when I was in college, for any of you who know anybody my age, uh, what we call the charismatic renewal movement, or the charismatic movement, burst onto the scene in the 60s, and it was still around some in the 70s. Um, but in the 70s, my college roommate, whom I had known since he was eight years old. Actually, I moved to Richmond when we were eight, and he was one of the first people I ever met. Um, he joined me at this little school in Mississippi where I went to college, and he became charismatic. He got the Spirit. He was <laughs> baptized in the Holy Spirit. We can talk about that phrase later. Uh, and so he is now an Assemblies of God minister uh, up in uh, Springfield, Missouri. Um, I didn't follow that path. I stayed Baptist. But I really think that some of my research is autobiographical. Mm. It was making sense of a, a relationship that's very, very strong to me. Why did he go in this direction? Why did I go in that direction? And finally, um, here you go, Blaze. I have, I have two hearing aids. Um, I've been wearing hearing aids for 40 years. 
But I have studied divine healing for about 35 of those 40 years. <laughs> and when I did what's called my doctoral or my PhD dissertation, it was on a penny, it was on an independent Baptist who was very popular in Pentecostal circles. He was a faith healer. Now, that might be what you call a pejorative term, a negative term. He was a minister of divine healing. Uh, and that's actually my first book. And that, that's yeah. how I got into this. I studied divine healing. I do think it's somewhat bi uh, bi autobiographical. Why are some people healed? Why are some not? Can you have healing that's dramatic and without medicine? Or can you have healing through medicine? Uh, and again... I even think, Megan, the, the book project was done. It's, I'm going to get melodramatic here. I turned in the manuscript for the book back in 2018. I turned the manuscript into the publisher one week before I went to MD Anderson Hospital in Houston mm -hmm. to have surgery. So... And by the way, I'm fine, but nevertheless, it's been, that's been it. But yeah. it was in the midst of health that I was writing about the Holy Spirit and healing. So yeah. that's kind of stuff background. Stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and just a show of hands, okay, how many of y'all, for your Christian walk so far, most of that has been spent in, the, in a Baptist church? Okay. A lot of you, okay, what about most of your walk has been spent in a different tradition other than Baptist? Okay. So most Baptists, a few not right. I'm coming up on 10 years, I guess, of <laughs> being a Baptist. But um, So that's something that we can unpack to you, right? Because some of these things are very, and we're at the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, right? So some of this is going to sound familiar, and some of it is going to sound new. But also, I meant to mention, is if y'all have questions as we talk, we're using Slido again tonight. So just go to slido.com, and the code is MWITC. Okay, so you can submit questions that way. And we'll have time at the end for Q&A. Um, so you can go ahead and use that as we're talking. Um, but so anyway, so obviously Dr. Weaver's uh, studied Baptist life and then some for a long time. Um, and so whether you're new or you've, you were born into a Baptist church and stayed into a Baptist church, um, there's a lot to unpack there. And so, okay, so there's too much, like you said, when it comes to Baptists and how we understand the Holy Spirit, there's a lot too, uh, way too much history to go into detail, but um, give us some of the highlights of how Baptists have understood the Holy Spirit throughout history. Okay. Okay. Or the highlights, yeah. My first answer is they haven't. <laughs> That's my first answer. Um, because how, think about that. I mean, even not trying to be critical, trying to be descriptive. Think about how often the Holy Spirit is talked about in your worship. Wherever you go to church or where you used to go to church. Think about how often the Holy Spirit is talked about. Yeah. So mm -hmm. one reason, it just hasn't, the Holy Spirit hasn't been talked about. Uh, a part of that, there are two, I'll give you two reasons. Uh, Y'all know the verb C-E-A-S-E? -C -C? All right, there's a noun. It's called cessation. It means to stop. Uh, in theology, a cessationist, cessation, I-S-T, is someone that says when you read the Bible, all the miracles and all the extraordinary things that happened did happen in the Bible times, but they stopped. They ceased. They don't happen anymore after that. And it's the idea that the Holy Spirit 
did miraculous, extraordinary things to help the church be birthed to start. But once the church started, it mm -hmm. had the writings, the scriptures, and it didn't need anything. It didn't need any more extraordinary gifts. It didn't need prophets, prophetesses, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So um, one major reason why you don't hear a lot about the Holy Spirit in Baptist life is that there's 400 years of Baptist life. Most, most, not all, most Baptists have been cessationist. <laughs> you might not talk about it. I'd like to say it this way. Uh, are you a functional cessationist? It's not a fancy term. In other words, you might say that you believe in miracles. But do you ever, have you ever seen one? Have you ever expected one? Do you function as if they never happen? Mm. Okay. So most Baptists are like that. I mean, that's, that's the life that I have lived. I, my dad was a Baptist pastor. We didn't sit around saying, oh, my gosh, there was a miracle last week. In fact, for us, a miracle would be if I could get Blake to see me in the hospital and I could get well. In other words, a miracle <laughs> would be going through the doctor. Yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that's not miraculous. Yeah. That's, that's in a, uh, an enhanced way of understanding a miracle is that God works through uh, medicine uh, and discoveries. But a cessationist it says when you read everything in the Bible, all that extra stuff, just stop. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the main reason that most Baptists haven't been. What I've tried to study uh, is that if you think that, and by the way, that can be your view. You can be Baptist, you can be Christian, and have that view. you got plenty of company. But in my writings mm -hmm. and in my research, I have found there are Baptist stories that complicate that. There are Baptists who are not cessationists. There are Baptists who have believed in prophets. Mm -hmm. There are Baptists who have prophesied. There are Baptists who have said that the Spirit of God has called women to preach. Uh, there are there are Baptists now. This 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 might make you uncomfortable. There are Baptists who have spoken in tongues. So, in other words, if you have somebody tell you this is a Baptist story, I could go, yeah, that probably is right. But let me tell you the rest of the story, and the rest of the story is that uh, there are a group of people that I would call holiness Baptists. They talk about being holy in a way that you might not at this church mm -hmm. or I might not at my church. They were heavily influenced by what you call the holiness movement. So what is that? Ever heard of the Church of the Nazarene? Ever heard of something called a Wesleyan church? Got to be one in uh, San Antonio. That, that's a holiness movement that comes out of the Methodist church. I can tell you Baptist stories of Baptists who got involved in that. Mm -hmm. Pentecostalism. Ever heard of Pentecostals? One of the fastest growing movements in Christianity worldwide. In mm -hmm. fact, you got somebody in here who is what's called a missiologist, somebody who studies missions worldwide. They would tell you that Pentecostalism is the fastest growing Christian expression globally. They might say it this way. They might say charismatic Christianity is the fastest globally. What does that mean? Is that means that Christian in other countries are more likely to what practice what you might call the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians and some other places. So, um, Megan, the question for us is not have Baptists 
practice these gifts. Some always yeah. have. Mm -hmm. But there are major reasons why most Baptists have not. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, I found, and I feel like this church is, we've done a good job, and Chris has led that, and Brian has led that, about just reading and learning and being open to new things, right? And so, um, but one of the ways sometimes we get caught up when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we, he doesn't have a pronoun as much, right? You know, we can say God the Father and Jesus the Son and then the Holy Spirit, right? And we, we don't know what to, we don't know how to describe the Holy Spirit. We don't know how to differentiate the Holy Spirit. Is there a, a reason for that? Or did, is it just because we kind of didn't know what to do, so we left him in the closet? That's actually the answer. <laughs> let, let me give you something that, if you can want to take away anything from tonight. Um, we have treated uh, the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. <laughs> take, yeah. that, take that away, shy member. In other words, we're very comfortable talking about... I grew up in a Baptist church with a. Do y'all use a Baptist hymnal or a different mm -hmm. kind of? Yeah, in, all right, in your pews, you have a Baptist hymnal. Mm -hmm. One Sunday, not during the sermon. <laughs> Maybe during the sermon. When I'm up there or something. <laughs> yeah, you, this One will give Sunday, you start flipping through the songs and see how many of the songs are about Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm not being critical. I grew up on Jesus songs. Yeah. I grew up on what's called Jesus' blood songs. At the cross, down at the cross, amazing grace, power in the blood. Oh, you got to be my age to know some of that stuff. But, okay, Jesus, Jesus saves. So Jesus has yeah. always been, so salvation is through Jesus, right? So Jesus has always been the center mm -hmm. of our trinity, not suggesting, suggesting otherwise. But what's happened is that we have talked so much about Jesus, mm -hmm. we have sung so much about Jesus, that we end up being the cessationist, or we might be uncomfortable at the at the Pentecostals because they talk so much about the Holy Spirit, and so we don't. I, I, so again, I, I think we have uh, a shy member of the Trinity. Also, we talk. Watch what pronoun? Okay, God, God the Father, God the Creator, Almighty God, Lord, yeah. whatever. You have no trouble with with words there, right? Um, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, you got all kind of words. Holy Spirit, it, mm, you don't want to say it, do you? <laughs> yeah. Not an it. Yeah. In fact, some people call the Holy Spirit a he. Some people call the Holy Spirit a she because mm -hmm. of the Greek word. And, but watch, if you start doing your theology, if you ever do theology, <laughs> it's, it's God, it's personal, God and what? Father, Son, Spirit, God, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. It's, it's, it's personal. So you don't want to, we have trouble with that, though, because we almost kind of go, well, we got Father, and we got Son, and then maybe we got this impersonal spirit. Eh, we, yeah. we, that's not good. Yeah. It's probably just best to say, just practice saying Holy Spirit. Just practice mm -hmm. saying Spirit of God. And so what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll throw a definition out for you. The Holy Spirit's God. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one third God. Yeah. It's 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 watch. Here's here's uh, anybody a math teacher? <laughs> oh man, right. we're missing here's some of our teachers. She Christian math. math. <laughs> Christian math. <laughs> one plus one plus one equals one. Yeah. 
One God Father, one God Son, one God Spirit equals one God. Yeah. All fully God, God Father. Uh, I'm giving you a free theology lesson, <laughs> right? God Father, fully God. God Spirit, fully God. So, so who is Holy Spirit? It's God. Yeah. I would say it this way. I think the best way, Megan, for us to start talking about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is God near you, mm -hmm. God with you, God present, God mm -hmm. active, the nearness and power of God. Mm -hmm. I, you can come up with it some other way. I mean, how do you define Jesus? Okay, Son of God. How do you define Holy Spirit? The presence of God right now, yeah. right here, in you, with you, around you. That's Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, I can go more than that, but I think that's uh, that's not a bad place to start. Yeah, that's good. And that's what, you know, we know that we're still in the, the age of the Spirit, right? You know, there was the time before Jesus came, you know, we go through all of the Old Testament, and what they knew of God was God the Father, right? And and then Jesus comes, right? And the incarnation happens, and there's that era, albeit a short one, where Jesus is walking on the earth. And there's still, you know, of course, we, we just finished... Uh, the Gospel of John, and none of those disciples fully knew who Jesus was, right? But there was that time when Jesus was here physically. And then he says, it'll be better for you if I go because the Spirit is coming, right? And and we're in that age, and we've been in that age for a long time. Um, so maybe it's because it's the age we're in, so it's hard to talk about what we're currently a part of, right? But um, But that's helpful language because... That's the, the age of the church that we're in. Um, so maybe it's easier to talk about things that are, you know, feel like they happened in the past. I don't know. But, but that's helpful language to use. Yeah. Um, and some of what we talked, so y'all, we know, we just observed Ash Wednesday last year, or uh, last week, right? Um, and sometimes Baptists, correct me if I'm wrong, have had a history of, and other denominations too, of overcorrecting when they see a problem. So say like the Catholic Church, right? They saw a problem. And sure, there was a problem there. And typically Baptists will run as far away as they can from that thing and to a fault, right? We, we end up doing the polar opposite of that thing and end up probably doing something wrong just on the polar opposite end of that problem, right? So they said, you know, there's something wrong in the Catholic Church, so we can't be like that, and they run the other way. Um, and similarly, sometimes with the Pentecostal Church, Baptists have seen problems that have arisen in charismatic movements, and they've run the other way, right? Um, so is that just like a, a culture of skepticism that Baptists have, or um, is that kind of the way we're taught? Or it seems that Baptists are kind of skeptical of Catholic and Pentecostal movements, and we've created this really narrow space for ourselves kind of between the two. Um, what led us yeah, to think it's, that way? It's a really, it's a really good question. Um, ask yourself, um, anybody come out of the Catholic tradition? We have a few in okay, our wider bit. congregation. Yeah. Um, for people who are uncomfortable with the Catholic tradition, ask why. You can, you can ask that for any, any tradition, but if the traditionally, if someone was uncomfortable with a Catholic tradition, they said it was it was too ritualistic. Mm 
-hmm. It had too many rituals, and you're going through the sacraments. And so, in some ways, it was, it didn't seem to have any life of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's actually not what the Catholic Church teaches, <laughs> but that, that was the criticism. Actually, they would tell you that you have the presence of God when you take the Eucharist. And by the way, if your church now is practicing Lent, that's, that's Catholic practice. Uh, Ash Wednesday got popularized in, in the history of the Catholicism. But Baptists have, as Megan is right, reacted, well, we don't want to be too ritualistic. Okay. So what's the major criticism of Pentecostalism? Oh, my gosh. They're just too excited. <laughs> they are ecstatic. Glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's who they are. <laughs> oh, yeah. I probably did this to Megan in class. I could go, I can get one hand up. I just can't get two. I mean, so, but that's the that's a criticism of Pentecostal tradition is that they are too emotional, too ecstatic, mm -hmm. not enough doctrine, too focused on yeah. experience. So ritual experience, too experience. And so, yeah, I, th I think yeah. Baptists have said we're going to run from that, we're going to run from that, and they hope they find themselves in the middle. Now, Baptists would say in the middle was where the Bible is. <laughs> they would say this group's not biblical and this group's not biblical. But I, I do like your question in the sense that we have reacted to both. Maybe, yeah. maybe the answer is find your own distinct identity as Christian a Christian who practices a Baptist way, but you might incorporate things from other groups. So there's nothing actually wrong with rituals yeah. if they bring life. Mm -hmm. You have a ritual. You have, it's called baptism. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, how often do you eat the Lord's Supper here? Once a month. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a ritual. You do it every month, right? Yeah. But, but now you would say, oh, well, we don't do it every week. We're not like the Catholic Church. And that, that was somewhat the reaction. But nevertheless, what can you draw from ritual? But what can you draw from emotion? Have you ever heard this phrase that uh, that person has a head knowledge but not a heart knowledge? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's, uh, in the Bible, um, the demons can announce that Jesus is the Son of God, but they're not called believers, are they? Because they have a... They know about Christ, but they don't, why? Here's the distinction. They know about Christ, but they don't know Christ. Mm -hmm. I yeah. might be spilling to another question no, you have, but how do I put all this together? This is something that I've been working on. You don't have to take it. You can go, ah, it's, just a, it's just a religion professor trying to come up with something. But I have now developed a, a triangle that I think, when you live the Christian life, that it is the interaction of word, Holy Spirit, and experience. Mm -hmm. Word, spirit, experience. Word of God is Jesus mm -hmm. and the Bible. They are basic to who you are, right? They, they, it's what you read. That's your authority. It's formed you. But it's reading the Word of God in dialogue and being led by the Spirit of God. Okay. And then watch. This is based on, again, there are other ways to do this, but this is based on all my years of study. I don't think you can talk about 
Christian life. I don't think you can talk about Baptist identity unless you use the word experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that was in here a little while ago told me that, there you are back there, <laughs> that he came to the Lord and then he told me the story. It was a beautiful story. That's an experience. Yeah. So, do y'all have a conversion? That's an experience. That's the heart. I think the way, okay, let me get, let me get melodramatic again. I will never, ever read the Bible the same once I got cancer. Mm-hmm. I will not. I read it differently. I don't, you can tell me I shouldn't have. I will read it differently because of that experience. Yeah. In other words, if the Bible, the Word, the Spirit, experience, I don't think you can separate them. So, Megan, for me, in order to avoid this extreme or this extreme, again, it's just my suggestion. I have written about it. But I think that the interaction and the acknowledgement that it's word and, and spirit and experience all together. Yeah. Um, I just think that's at least one way. One way. It's one way also not to forget the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, that's really good. Because that's what we've talked a lot about. And we've, I guess I got that from you. I didn't realize where I got this from. But the idea of the three-legged stool, right? When we use, whenever we're, we take something in, like Ash Wednesday, right? Or a new practice or something that's new for us. And we say, okay, does this fit into my spiritual formation? Does this fit into my life of faith? It's that three-legged stool that we sit on, right? And we say, does this line up with Scripture? Let's look at, let's look at the Word, right? And then and something that you touched on, too, is what has church history taught us about this, right? There's people that lived a long time ago that figured out a lot of problems for us, but we forget that they did that, right? And what have they said on this? How has the Spirit moved throughout history on this? And then, like you said, what has been true of how the Holy Spirit has worked in my life, right? And if those three things are in agreement, then, then that's profound, right? And that's, we have a sure, and that doesn't mean we're going to, you know, teeter to the left or to the right every once in a while. Sometimes that'll happen. But we have this way of moving forward with confidence, right? And that's what Dr. Weaver is talking about. And it's so useful and amazing because then... We have this way of moving forward with confidence where we can say, instead of saying, well, Catholicism is too ritualistic and, you know, it's all ceremony. They don't mean any of it. Instead, we can say, some of that ritual is really interesting and meaningful. How might that deepen my spiritual life? Or, and I've heard this too, well, Pentecostal, that's all just emotional manipulation, right? And some of that is true, right? I grew up Pentecostal, so I can be critical of that, right? Um, but instead of saying, well, no, they're just trying to manipulate you emotionally. Well, emotions are part of who we are. Pastor Brian says this all the time, right? God built us with emotions. He built us with the ability to be excited, right, and to, to feel those things. And that's one of the ways that the Lord communicates with us. So maybe we could adopt some of that, right? Maybe we don't have to only worship with our minds. We can worship through other things too. And instead of, since we have that three-legged stool that you talked about, Instead of looking at things with judgment or with um, disdain, we can look at them with curiosity because we, we have this way of deciding if it's worth bringing into our life, right? And it's, if it's worth adopting 
into our spiritual practice. And so that's huge, right? That's huge to be able to say, this is how the Spirit has worked in my life, and, and that changes the way I read Scripture, and that changes the way I do things. But, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, and so what do we miss out on when we kind of leave the Holy Spirit out of things? What do we miss out on when we, we ignore the Holy Spirit? <laughs> When we're talking. Yeah, that, that was a, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, the easiest, I'm not going to stop with this, but the easiest answer is that you miss out on God. <laughs> I mean, it's the presence of God is Holy Spirit. I think that's the, that's the easiest and, and maybe the, 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 the most profound. But mm-hmm. for me, uh, to go beyond that, what do we miss out? I, I think for us... Um, Maybe a question is, why are you here? You've been converted. Somebody has told you the old Baptist line, once saved, always saved, don't do that. Somebody's told you, maybe you've heard that. (laughs) But you're here because you want experience, right? You want to be in a community of other believers. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you use this phrase, fellowship of believers. You want to... You want to have, uh, this is what I, do I, you want to think Pentecostalism helps everybody get? You can get, you can get afraid of emotion, but they have a profound desire for direct experience of God. Mm. Now, again, it might be a way that you like. It might be a way that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, if you grew up Catholic and you fully believe in what's called the real presence of the Eucharist, if, if you grew up that way. What is that? You are pro... And by the way, you might not like that if you didn't grow up Catholic, but there's a... That person says, I am profoundly uh, experiencing the presence of God. So my, I think my mm-hmm. answer, Megan, is... It's got to think about this. What, when we don't talk about the Holy Spirit, when we don't talk about the, the um, activity of the Holy Spirit, we really are not focusing on the presence of God yeah. in our life individually, but also communally. Yeah. What does it mean for this group that meets here every Wednesday night to experience together the presence of God? So the word experience for me has is, is gotten increasingly important in my life. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, and you mentioned this before. But baptism and the Holy Spirit, that is, I remember in seminary, we had to write a, um, basically, what we believe, right, in a very long document, and I was the the weird Pentecostal Baptist that put in baptism of the Holy Spirit in that document, right? Um, That's something we see in scripture, and that's something that we kind of don't always know what to do with, Um, but how would you describe baptism in the Holy Spirit, and what has the Baptist church historically taught on this? Let's have some fun with this. Do y'all know where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in the Bible? Okay. All right. Look, Google it sometime. So if you happen to grow up in a Baptist tradition like me, has that phrase ever been used? Think about that. If you didn't grow up, some of y'all didn't grow up in a Baptist tradition. Have you heard that phrase? Yeah. This is what's fun about this. It's a Bible phrase. So if you go, if you find somebody that goes, I believe in the whole Bible, 
Look, have a little fun. It's okay to be Christian and, and, and poke at people. If somebody tells you, I believe in the whole Bible, look at them and go, well, do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Just watch them want to skate away. <laughs> so, you know, so what, what does it mean? It, it's actually meant uh, historically it's been ignored. It's one of those parts of the Bible that people ignore it. So there's water baptism. There's spirit baptism. Mm -hmm. There's something called baptism of fire. Is, is they all the same? Some people say they're all the same thing. Others would go simply that baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you're converted and the Spirit of God comes into your life. That's probably the Baptist answer. Mm -hmm. But watch. The language is never used. Why? Because the Pentecostals like to use it. Yeah. But here's, here's the thing. The Methodist tradition, the holiness tradition, and there are holiness churches still around, Baptism of the Holy Spirit for them meant that you would become more holy, that you would become sanctified. You know that word, sanctification? So there was a purity of the Christian life. The Pentecostal movement has said that it is a, if you have a, if you, if you, if you're a Baptist, you affirm I've had an experience, I got converted. Pentecostalism said, well, you've got an, an extra experience. You've had an experience mm -hmm. of the Spirit, and we call it the baptism of the Spirit. Yeah. We don't, uh, I think the best way to talk about this, Megan, uh, is to have fun first. Yeah. And go, why do you never use the term? Go ahead and admit, because you're running from the Pentecostals. Go ahead and admit that. <laughs> I think that's fine. Go ahead and admit that. But then ask, ask in your group. What are you seeking after conversion? Mm -hmm. yeah. Are you seeking a deeper life with Jesus? Are you seeking a deep yeah. are you seeking to be filled with the spirit? Okay. If you are willing to say I'm I know I'm Christian, but I'm this is the language I grew up with. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to have a, a deeper walk with God. It used to be songs, you know, a deeper walk with Jesus, stuff like that. But if you're willing to use the language of Scripture that I am seeking to be, I know the Holy Spirit came into my life when I'm converted, but I want to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're willing to say that, and by the way, I think you should. If you're willing to say that, then start talking about what does that mean? What does it mean to have a deeper relationship with God what does it mean to have a closer walk with God? Yeah. If you want to stay away from the language, what does it mean to be immersed yeah. in the Spirit of God? What does it mean to be immersed so that you know God's presence is with you? Yeah. I actually think that's why you're here on a Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. You want something. You want God's presence. Yeah. You want experience. I'd say, good for you. You got cake on the side. No, good for you. Yeah. No, seriously. If you, why are you here on a Wednesday night? Compliment yourself. You're here for community and to experience the immersion of God's presence. And yeah. I do think maybe that's the best way for us to talk about something yeah. because we get afraid of the other language. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. Because that, when... The baptism of the Holy Spirit always, it's kind of, it sounds mystic or it sounds cloudy or it sounds, you know, we, we don't 
unpack that very well. So that's helpful, right? We're always pursuing that. Yeah, but we just don't call it baptism. Yeah, well, of the Holy you know, Spirit. in your tradition, people might have said, I have it. And then you go, well, how do you know you have it? And <laughs> yeah. is there a sign you have it? Yeah, so and I, then it I gets complicated, right? Go, we're always seeking to, to be full of the presence of God. It's, yeah. It's an easier way to talk about it. Yeah, that's good. Um, and so have y'all been following the news about Asbury? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about. <clears throat> no idea. Okay, so most of y'all have seen some of the headlines, at least, of revival happening at Asbury and how that's kind of spread, right? Um, and it's interesting because at Asbury, this has happened in kind of intervals throughout their history. Um, so this is one of the ways that we would describe how the Holy Spirit works, right, is at things that happen at Asbury, like this. So, and I've heard s- some positive and some negative comments on it, but what are your thoughts on the Asbury revival, you know, in, in, in a more general way? How should we view those kinds of things when they come up? Uh, yeah, I've read, if you've read about it, Asbury and Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, they have had two other revivals there, one in, back in 1970 and one in 1950. Um, I grew up in a Baptist church where revival first was coming to church every night for two weeks. <laughs> And then it got reduced mercifully to coming to church every night for one week. (laughs) And then it got Wednesday night to Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then we got rid of them. Yeah. So, but what revival was focused on coming to church and getting revived, or it was a time to get converted. Yeah. One of the things about Asbury, people have said, well, you can't call Asbury revival while it's still going on. That's a fair comment. I mean, you usually look back at something and go, wow, something really happened. People really did get revived. They really got converted. So that, that's a historian saying, yeah. But now let me say something positive. Uh, everybody that has come out of Ayersbury said that they experienced the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Everybody said that it was not led by some famous charismatic person who yeah. manipulated anybody. It, yeah. It's uh, been lay-led, led by people who aren't ministers. It's been mostly music. And so I think, Megan, it's good yeah. to say, hey, this was an authentic experience mm-hmm. that people um, that people wanted to have. Yeah. So is God in that? Sure, I can, sure, I can say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, if you want me to get critical, what bothers, what could bother me, and I'm not bothered by Asbury, what, what could bother me is if other places try to manufacture that. Yeah. That becomes artificial, mm-hmm. or at least potentially artificial, because we probably read a document from a guy that said, I can make a revival. Yeah. Yeah. I can set up a revival. I can have you pray every night. I can sing a certain number of songs. I can preach a certain way, and I can produce an emotional reaction. Actually, I think I know how to do that. (laughs) But I think Asbury is an uh, honest, authentic uh, experience of God being sought out. Watch, mostly being sought out by young people. And so, Megan, I I think that Asbury is a good sign for us that there are still people who want to have an authentic spiritual life. Yeah. 
Now, some people would go that the real revivals of the 19th century always produce social justice. And by the way, historically, that's accurate. The revivals of the 20th century, not so much. So if you want to evaluate something that it has to produce this, this, or this, I can always find something wrong with it. Yeah. So yeah. I would simply go, uh, if, if reading about Asbury causes you or me to uh, seek the Lord more deeply, yeah, that's, yeah. that's you are seeking the presence of God. Now watch, it's good to do that individually, but do it communally. Because she said something, you go extreme. How's, what's the best way to stay away from extremes? Mm -hmm. Together. Yeah, that's good. You might all end up with an extreme, but most likely you end up, you end up forming a, a group. So that if you have one person that wants to fall off the ledge, you bring them back. Yeah. And I, I think that's how the spirit works, is that uh, these, are, these are good people, uh, seeking the presence of God. And by the way, it's over with now, which is the interesting part of the human part of history. The town was so small, they simply couldn't sustain it, and they've, had to, they've actually had to stop it. Yeah, yeah, and that's good. And that's what we talked about. And if y'all were with us in Sunday school just this last Sunday, we were studying the very end of the book of John where Peter has this restoration, right? You know, he, he talks to Jesus and he says, yes, Lord, I love you, and they have this wonderful reunion and then he immediately says, wait, but what about John, right? And he, he immediately starts comparing his spiritual walk with somebody else. And we talked about comparison is the thief of joy, and it is fertile ground for the enemy, right? And so many of the negative comments, and like you said, we can always, we want to make sure these experiences are genuine, right? And they're led by the Spirit. But a lot of the negative comments I've heard are more out of FOMO than anything else, right? More of just... Well, I'm not there, so surely it's not that great, right? And they, and they want to throw dust on a fire just because they're not there. And that's, y'all, to be part of something like that is amazing. Um, but just because we're not there doesn't mean it's not worthwhile and beautiful and all those things, right? And that's what, um, that's part of how we can let our skepticism get unhealthy, right? Um, but that's good. And that's, that's a good way to look at these things as they come up in the future because, thank God, they're still happening. Right? That's not something that's lost to history. But yeah. Um, so before we go into Q&A, um, so how can the Baptist Church have a more robust understanding of the Holy Spirit in general? Basically, how can we get to know the Holy Spirit better? You've talked about that a little bit, but how can we as a church grow in that way? Y'all got a shy friend? <laughs> yes. I need to try to get a shy friend involved. Takes a little effort, right? Yeah. Not manipulation, just takes a little effort to get your shy friend involved. Okay. I think it takes intentionality. Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit in yeah. church. Don't be afraid to sing the if you sing the doxology, you're mentioning the Holy Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. yeah. But uh, don't be afraid to, to say that um, I want a deeper life with God. Yeah. I want to experience the Spirit of God. Don't, mm -hmm. don't be, I would say it's what can Baptists do? Uh, be intentional. We're not diminishing Jesus, folks. Yeah. We're Jesus people. Yeah. We're Jesus. At your age, y'all are probably Jesus freaks. But that 
that was a, a word. That was a legitimate word. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we, we are, we are Jesus-centered, but we're yeah. not Jesus-only. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. You know, it's uh, Jesus saves, the Spirit is there <laughs> now. So yeah. I just think to be intentional about it. it yeah. I don't think it means um, wearing T-shirts that says, <laughs> I used to believe in Jesus, now I believe in the Spirit. I think that's stupid. <laughs> I just think it's being, being intentional. Well, yeah. if you're on a college campus, the way to show your spirituality is wear a Christian T-shirt. It's true. Y'all might remember that, right? Yeah, still have some of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, just yeah, just just be willing to talk about the being active in the presence of God. And if you are, you're actually you're actually talking about the Spirit. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's something that y'all have heard Pastor Chris talk about. We want to be a witnessing people, right? The, his three words are repent, witness, and disciple, right? And part of and we, we tend to make witness um, something that's scary or like you have to have a, an elevator pitch or you have to, you know, perfect your, your approach, right, to witness. But all witness is is telling about what you've experienced of God, right? And most of the time that's how the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. Um, and so putting language to that, like you said, is, is really impactful. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to... I don't want to keep you all night. I know you have to drive all the way back to Waco, but um, I know. Y'all, he came all the I'm way not, from Waco. I'm not getting up early. I have a, I have a lunch with a dean as long as I get to <laughs> You have to make that lunch. <laughs> That's, okay, so we've, we have a few questions on here, and so um, we're going to go through this. So, and this is a good one. Um, how do you know if you're hearing the Holy Spirit or if it's just your imagination? And I'm expounding on this, but, and we talked a bit about this a little a couple weeks ago, but. How do you know if it's the spirit or just in your head or your imagination? Uh, I'm going to pull a Jesus trick. Jesus answered questions by asking a question, right? <laughs> uh, how do you know you're converted? Hmm. So watch. We're kind of okay being willing to say we're converted, but we get afraid to say that we're talking about the spirit. Now think about that. The best, I think, the quick answer to a very, very good question is, how do you know? Um, you, the Bible talks about testing the spirits, discerning the spirit. It's, you do it together. Mm-hmm. If you study Christian history, they had mystics. There still are people who might be called mystical. But people would have visions. And how do you know someone is, how do you, how do you know someone is just dreaming something? Or they're in communication with God. Number one, number one you really don't know. Yeah. It's a it's yeah. faith. But number two, you you talk with your community of faith. Mm-hmm. That's what this group's for. Yeah. That's what your Sunday school's for. That's what your Yeah. Uh, that's the best way. Yeah. Uh there are people who go ex- in excessive measures when they l- lone ranger to the left or to the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's we've all heard or I've talked with a lot of y'all um that have heard well, God told me to blah, 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 right? And a lot of times when that's said, it's not used in a kind way. It's used in a sort of manipulative way, right? Or it's just used to, I just want to do what I want to do, and so I'm going to say God told me to do it, right? And I think when we've been burned by that, that kind of makes it, we don't want to trust, or it's hard for us to trust whether something's the Spirit or not, right? Because we've all been. 
Well, it wasn't in your class, but one student told me one time, God told me to witness last night, and I didn't have time to study for your test, so you're going to let me take a makeup, right? And I said, God didn't tell me that, so you can take the test today. Sometimes, God, if you're telling me God told me something, but it is really just what you really want to do, then, yeah, the rest of us might question that a little bit. So that's why the community comes in. Yeah. That's what we had. We were just talking about this. We had a friend in the class that we had with Dr. Weaver that he was dear and sweet um, and kind of an oddball, but he was late to class chronically and he rode his bike to class and he, <laughs> he was late one day and he said, Dr. Weaver, Jesus broke my bike chain because his bike chain on his bike was broken and that's why he was late to class and he decided that Jesus broke it and that's, <laughs> that's how that went down. But um, yeah, so that's one of those things that that might be more you yeah, than the... <laughs> Um, that's a great memory by the way it is <laughs> we, we say that constantly at our house by the way um, <laughs> he, was a, he was a sweet friend um, okay here's another good one um, the question for me is not if the Holy Spirit works through signs and wonders etc but how to know it's the Spirit and not something else um, and we, we talked about that a little bit right sometimes we won't know but um, throughout church history, this is where I would use my, my trifecta, my trilogy, my three-legged stool, uh, experience and dialogue with the spirit and dialogue with the word. So how do you know? Well, ultimately you don't. There's, it's by faith. But how do you test things? You test it by experience that you've had with experiences of other people and you test it by the word. So I like, I use, I expect you to do this here at First Baptist. Um, Jesus is the cornerstone for how I read scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't read, I read Leviticus in light of Jesus. I don't read Jesus in light of Leviticus. Yeah. So, but I still read the, read the whole Bible, right? So I think, how do you know it is, you're, Ultimately, you don't. It's, it's faith. But it's faith in dialogue with the person of Jesus that's described in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then experience. So watch. You mentioned a minute ago, experience. You test your experience by Scripture. But your experience might allow you to read Scripture in a different way. Yeah. Your ancestors justified segregation. With scripture. Mm-hmm. We can look back at that and say it's horrible. It was new experience that we know that that's wrong. Yeah, that's a good. So, again, that's, yeah. that's, those are just practical suggestions on how you know. Uh, if yeah. anybody comes up to you and they're always certain, always certain, you probably ought to run. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's something we've talked about too, right? The, the Spirit of God is never going to sow confusion. The Spirit of not is, God is never going to lead you to a... You might be, you know, in a new place and you're figuring things out, but you're, he's... The Spirit of God is not going to cause chaos or disorder, right? It causes order. Um, and so when you're discerning if something is from the Spirit of God or not, right, does it line up with Scripture? Does it line up with everything else you know to be true about the Lord and you know to have, you've found that to be true in your community, right? There's, there's ways that we can kind of filter those things. 
Um, but yeah, and I think so much of what we've talked about here is, you know, it is not Jesus and. It's Jesus, right? And so when we are pretty open-handed and living like this with everything else besides Christ and Christ crucified, right, then then that's a much better, better way to live, right? And so if, if someone, like you said, is certain that the Lord said this specific thing and they're always certain in that way, then that's, that's a red flag, right? Because the only thing we're certain of is Christ's death and resurrection. But the Spirit is still speaking and moving, and so we're discerning that. But like you said, there's, there's ways to discern that. Um, let's see, there were so many good questions here. Okay. Um, is there a risk to only emphasizing the highly visible acts of the Spirit? If the Spirit is the one who is near us and acting in us, aren't miracles constant? So if we're, if we're only emphasizing the signs and wonders and oh, miracles, yeah. is there a cost yeah. to overemphasizing that? Uh, <clears throat> sure. Um, I like to talk about, um, when I talk about the black Baptist church tradition, um, if you talk about any group, there are exceptions, right? So I'm not trying to generalize. But the, but the Black Baptist Church tradition has done such a good job talking about uh, embodied faith, mm-hmm. uh, embodied worship. It's the whole person. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's one tip for, for me here mm-hmm. is to make sure that it's not narrow, it's... Yeah. It's the whole thing. I mm-hmm. mean, I could go on and on and on, but maybe maybe I'll just stick yeah. with that. Do I don't I'm not a cessationist. Remember that word? But I'm not a follower of Oral Roberts. I'm pretty Baptist. <laughs> I love studying this. I love talking about the Holy Spirit. Um so let me go back to the cancer. Did I pray every every day? Yeah. But I left the doctor in Waco. I guess I should have come to San Antonio <laughs> place. But I went to Houston to get the very best and the most expensive doctor I could find. So, and by the way, I journeyed from 2006. I actually go to MD Anderson next uh, in two weeks. From 2006 to today, I've been seeing doctors. To me, that's, that's one way of describing miracle. Yeah. So I don't describe miracle just in terms of, I certainly never describe miracle in terms of someone who doesn't need to go to the doctor. And there are some people that do that. I don't, I don't think that's healthy. Yeah. I, I think the spirit, uh, if the spirit of God is active in the world, we are open to how the spirit might move. Mm-hmm. But let me affirm your career in medicine. For most of us, almost all the time, we better be going to see somebody that's got on a blue coat. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So <laughs> signs and wonders, um, I would never say don't happen. My gosh, why would you put a limit or a cap on God? Mm-hmm. I would never do that. But... For a person who's always doing that, Jesus kind of had a line in the Bible about you're always seeking a sign. You're always seeking the flash. And so Jesus is going to pull me back from that. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we talked a little bit about that last week at Ash Wednesday, right? We're not just focused on the sign. We're focused on the thing that the sign is pointing to, right? And that's what all these signs and miracles are, right? And that's always Jesus. And like you said, there's the physical signs, and this is what this question is getting at. There's these physical signs that are awesome because they're they're there and they're in front of us, and sometimes we need that physical sign from the Lord. Um, but when we're walking with the Spirit, there's constant movement of the Spirit, and sometimes that's in a physical sign or in front of us, and sometimes it's in another way, right? But I think you're right. I think we don't talk about those other things as much because maybe they feel less dramatic or they feel less notable, right? Um, but we should be, right? We should be how, talking about how the Spirit is moving no matter what way that it's moving, right? Um, okay, two more questions, and then okay. we're going to let you get on the road. But um, Can I ask one? Sure. Sure. Oh, you're good. You're good. This was a really good one, too. Um, how would you introduce someone to the Holy Spirit when they've been wounded by people in the name of the Spirit? So if they've been to one of those charismatic movements and um, they got wounded there. That, that is a very great question, but you need to broaden that. How do you introduce someone to Christianity who's been hurt by a Christian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's, that, to me, is the fundamental answer. This question is good because it is a specific evidence of that. Mm-hmm. They've been hurt by a Christian who has claimed the Spirit. I think the best thing, again, we, we have uh, God the Creator, God the Son, God the Spirit. I think what we have to do is go this. You've already said this language. By the way, she's a really good teacher. Y'all need to keep listening to her. Uh, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Yeah. And some of the manipulation you see in the Spirit doesn't do that. And, mm-hmm. and that's where we can call it out. Yeah. Uh, focus on the signs and wonders that focuses on the sign or the wonder that, but mm-hmm. doesn't focus on Jesus that, that's gotten out of kilter. Yeah. But let me just leave you with that. If, you, if somebody gives you an answer, well, how do I respond to somebody because somebody in the spirit has hurt me? Just broaden it and go, how do, you, how do you keep somebody from running away from Christianity because a Christian has not acted Christian? And that happens every day. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the question we need to be asking. Yeah. Well, and that's the question we talked about right before that speaks to that too, right? The spirit is always moving. And so even though they've been hurt by someone that might have been doing something in the name of the Spirit, how, how have they seen the Spirit work in their life today? You know, outside of any physical signs and wonders or, you know, sure words that they heard from the Lord, in some small way, how have they seen the Spirit at work, right? Because that's more, the Holy Spirit works more in that way for my life than, than any other way. And sometimes we get the cool, you know, signs and wonders and those things, but... You know, that we see the Holy Spirit in creation. We see the Holy Spirit in, in all of these things, right? So there's different ways to approach that. Yeah. Um, last one. Oh, Isaiah, go ahead. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, a great question. Um, one answer has been that in the Old Testament, 
the Holy Spirit comes periodically on individuals to fill a prophet or, some, or a movement to do something specific. In the New Testament, the Spirit is given to all flesh mm-hmm. at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So, I mean, there are, if I were an Old Testament scholar, I could probably pick at what I just said at you, but I do think that, that the pivot, the pivot in the Bible is Acts 2. And Acts 2 says that uh, the Spirit descends on all believers in a full capacity, in a permanent capacity. Mm-hmm. So is the Spirit of God in the Old Testament? Yes. But it is not talked about in the way it is in Acts 2. That would be, that would be the way I would answer. Yeah, yeah. So... And you know the the whole book the whole book of Acts sometimes is is humorously and seriously been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because uh, the Spirit whisks Philip away when he's baptizing uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit fills Cornelius. Uh, it's it's almost like the journey of the Spirit from Jerusalem and Jewish Christians to. Gentiles or all Christians, so it's all people. So it's almost like the journey of the Spirit that touches a smaller group of people that goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's one way that you can read the book of Acts. Um, and you don't have that in the Old Testament. So I would say in some ways, can we say this carefully, the Holy Spirit is there in the Old Testament, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's it, from a Christian perspective, not a Jewish perspective. I mean, if, if you were a practicing Jewish person, you wouldn't agree with this. But it, in some ways, it's preparatory to Acts chapter 2. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is, y'all, if you're with us on Sunday mornings, um, this is what we're going to spend this entire spring quarter doing, is we're going through basically the highlights of the Old Testament okay. between Genesis and Esther. Um, and it's called Unlocking the Old Testament, but it's about how do we read these stories in light of the New Testament, in light of Jesus, right? Because Jesus is in... Leviticus, just as much as he's in the Gospel of John, right? Obviously, um, in different ways, and um, and we're not going to see the name of Jesus there, right? But like Dr. Weaver said, we're Christocentric people. Jesus is at the center of everything that we do, right? And so when we're going back and we're reading these stories, we can see, oh, I get to read this in light of who I know Jesus to be, right? And this week, we're studying Noah and the Flood, Right, so how, how do we read about Noah and the flood in light of what we know about the incarnation in Jesus? And we could do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Right? And I, I think that would be a really great exercise for us to do during this series is how is the Spirit at work in this story? You know, what, what do I know of the Spirit and how does that impact the way I read this? Um, so this was perfect timing <laughs> for you yeah. to come and talk about that. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I think maybe our last one was, um, why are we not seeing, you know, the Billy Grahams of the world, right? The, um, the revivals that he was constantly doing. Um, why are we not seeing those anymore? And are they being kind of actively squashed? I know, and this person was referencing, you know, media kind of squashes those things. Um, why do we not see those anymore? Is that a good or a bad thing? Oh, because you're soccer moms. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's part of the answer. There's, 
that's part of the answer that uh, Billy Graham crusade and uh, a big stadium and a big city was uh, a social event and um, you didn't have NBA teams in San Antonio at the time. <laughs> um, I mean, that's actually part of the thing is that so much is going on now and that re revivals are no longer a draw as a special event. Yeah. That's actually one. Yeah. I think the second event, the second answer is a little bit more negative and it goes to one of the questions. Uh, too many revivalists have been seen as uh, fraudulent, wealthy, Mm -hmm. uh, not evidence of the spirit in their own life. And yeah. so you have some of the hypocrisy that finally caught up. Uh, Billy Graham is the person who kind of transcended all of that. His Billy Graham Association was always highly regarded. He had financial accountability. Not trying to get political here, but he got severely criticized once he got too close to Richard Nixon. Yeah. In other words, should should a should a religious leader get so close to a political leader that they can cease to be prophetic? Mm. Yeah. And historians say that about him. Yeah. Even if they like Billy Graham, that's what they say, that he got too close to Richard Nixon, and you know about Richard Nixon and Watergate. So yeah. um, I think those are the answers. Um, yeah. I mean, again, when I was growing up, you'd go to church every week. Now, a regular church attender might be doing soccer two Sundays a month and church two Sundays a month. Yeah. And I'm only describing that. I mean, to a pastor, that's kind of frustrating. But uh, revivals, it's a crowded count. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think it sounds crazy, but I think it's part of it. Yeah. But again, the fraud part. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. And that's probably, for in some ways, a good thing that we are a little more skeptical of those people, because a lot of them were fraudulent. Yeah. Right? A lot of them were uh, manipulating. Um, and most most yeah. revivalists today tend to be uh, charismatic Pentecostal. Yeah. And it's, again, you have, we're back to what we talked about for an hour and a half. Yeah. Some people are comfortable with that and some people are not yeah. because of the, yeah. T.D. Yeah. Jakes, uh, most megachurch pastors are, that's yeah. where they fall. Yeah. So, it becomes a little bit more controversial than a Graham. Yeah, that's good. Well, and these have been really good questions, um, and so I hope you all have um, taken something away from this. And the goal is always, right, how can we know Jesus better and, and now how can we know the Spirit better, right? And so um, we can give Dr. Weaver a hand for joining us. Um,